A River to Cross, Chapter 22, Prima Donna. If you have been foolish, exalting yourself, or if you have been devising evil, put your hand on your mouth. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 32. You are a prima donna. It's an accusation I heard many times from my father while I was growing up. Worse, I continued to face this accusation as a lawyer practicing with my father for almost 20 years. It was only in the process of writing this chapter that I ever actually looked up the dictionary definition of prima donna, and after having done so, I think they could put my picture in there and be spot on. It's not a definition of one's life that I enjoy, but it's tragically accurate. On a hot southwest Mississippi summer day, I was thinking of the Homochitta River and drinking a few beers. Dressed in my summer river uniform of cutoffs, a straw cowboy hat, and sunglasses, I was behind the log house on the south bank of the Homochitta, performing my Saturday duty of mowing the grass. I heard the screaming sound of car tires losing a desperate battle to hold their purchase on the hot asphalt and then a thunderous collision. Letting go of the mower, I sprinted to the front of my house and was greeted with the scene of two badly damaged automobiles, two young men thrown out of a vehicle and writhing on the ground and a young lady emitting ear-piercing howls of pain. This was the scene in my front yard that day. This was long before cell phones, so I ran inside and called the Franklin County Sheriff's Office advising the dispatcher, probably Miss Kitty Hardy, of the need for help and an ambulance as soon as possible. Then I went out front and began to check the condition of the victims who I quickly realized I knew as two young teenage men from our community and a young lady I didn't personally know but could tell from her tag she was local as well. A Mississippi Highway Patrol trooper arrived and began to check on the hurt and asked me when an ambulance might arrive. The young lady was pinned in her automobile and the officer was concentrating on her. It seemed that my old friend, Harold Wentworth, was out of town with the ambulance, but another family member showed up in a van that was being converted into an ambulance. They asked if there was any way that someone could lead them to the hospital since they had no emergency equipment installed on the van. Enter Prima Donna First Class. The officer was busy with the young lady, and his patrol unit was sitting there with lights flashing and motor running, and I, of course, said, I got you. I will lead you in the patrol vehicle because the officer is too busy and can't go. Without another thought other than who in the world would ever question me, since I am in charge of determining the right of any situation I'm in, I got in the patrolman's car, hit the siren, and took off to the old familiar Franklin County Memorial Hospital, leading the makeshift ambulance. What is wrong with this scene? In theory, maybe what I did was admirable, in reality, what I did was prideful, nonsensical, extremely disrespectful, not to mention illegal. Who would question me? I was doing what I thought was right. How could I possibly be wrong to take a patrolman's MHP car without his permission as if he would ever give that? After having drunk several cans of beer while dressed in cutoffs and a straw hat, 
This is a classic example of how I lived my whole life. I saw what was in front of me. I made a choice to do what I wanted to do, and I assumed everyone else would agree with me. After all, I have to be right, right, wrong. There are boundaries in life for a reason. The stream banks are to regulate the flow of water and the rules of the road and of life are there for a reason. Amazingly, I got the patrolman his vehicle back in fairly short order and for reasons I can only speculate about, nothing was ever said. I suppose losing your patrol car is not something any law enforcement officer is anxious to report. Once again, God just provided me with cover that I desperately needed but did not at all deserve. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Cute fits a baby well, and thinking we all enjoy the same actions out of an adult is the very definition of prima donna. Chapter 23 can't get no satisfaction, parenthesis, can't buy me love, close parenthesis. I have seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 14. Quote, you are never satisfied, you never have enough, end quote, is a line I heard from my father over and over through the years, and though truer words were never spoken, I just didn't hear him. I hear him now, and I have seen for myself that I live most of my life never being satisfied. A close and candid look at yourself isn't comfortable, but it is a requirement in order to see real changes. Confronting my own shortcomings comes painfully. To reach your 60s and come to the realization that your life has been largely dominated by selfish and foolish motives and choices. This painful self-confrontation sometimes leaves me feeling as if my entire life has been wasted. Today, I don't have that feeling. I recognize we all have to come to a place where we see that there is one way, and that is Jesus. We can, in my opinion and belief, based upon Scripture and my experience, be born again. For me, it occurred at age 12, but it was very shallow and misdirected. That is a description of the majority of my life. I knew Jesus was the way, but I thought Jesus would accommodate what I wanted. There's no room in Christ to accommodate my way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way but Jesus. Today I have to see myself for who I really am and then let it go. I have to release the past and follow Paul's lead. Quote, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. End quote. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. Living life in a, quote, never satisfied, end quote, state of mind is neither easy to do nor pleasant to admit. 
That lack of satisfaction with what I had led me to serial, futile efforts at trying to obtain significance in the eyes of others by something I had or something I did for them. This misses the real point that ultimately what most people are moved by is simple love. I want to be loved. Everybody wants to be loved. Love is not spelled with nor defined by anything you can put your hand upon. To be loved is to know that you have a secure place and that your life matters. There is no security in this world because there is no possession, no title, no relationship, no acquisition that will give me, you, or anyone what we really want, satisfaction and peace in life. Life comes with challenges, and when they come, there either is or is not a firm foundation. Here is a picture of that from the words of Jesus, quote, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Anyone seeking peace or satisfaction through outside sources, possessions, friendships, achievements, family, sexual encounters, or any other outside source will never be satisfied. The reasons we will never be satisfied is that nothing from outside of us can ever satisfy what is lacking inside of us. There is a familiar saying that goes, True peace is not the absence of war, but the presence of Christ. Never has more been said in such a few words by man. Yet Jesus said it even better. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. John chapter 10, verse 10. We were created to be in a relationship with God. Our relationship with God can come only through our being in a saving relationship with Jesus, who is the way and the truth and the life, John 14, 6. As a result of my efforts to find peace, fulfillment, and satisfaction in substantial part through the acquisition of things, I have mishandled all the resources God has given me and or allowed me to receive. In chapter 1 of the book of James, we read, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James 1, 17. I caused harm and loss to many, starting first with those closest to me and spreading out from there, all because I tried to extract from this world what it never had to offer the peace that passes all understanding. The truth that I had never faced is simply this. People want to be loved for who they are, plain and simple. I miss this, and I have always sought to try to create relationships based on doing, giving, having. It didn't work, 
it won't work. And it led me to financial disaster because I have never been satisfied. Whether it was an effort to purchase a camp on Lake Mary, owning multiple expensive offshore boats, possessing a gun a little better than yours, or having parties to win the favor and love of others, it was all a bust. It was all my effort to buy love. It was all an effort to propel myself into the center so that all attention was on me, not unlike the center of attention with a stomach pump. There is a spiritual scriptural principle that is unavoidable. Pride goes before a fall every single time. You can write it down in the book. In fact, it is written in the book. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 18. There is a related and even broader principle. God does not share his place with anyone. Self-promotion is the same as saying to God, there's not room on this throne, heart, for both of us, and I want center stage. God will let you have your way, but it always, always, always ends in disaster. Quote, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Isaiah chapter 42, verse 8. These discoveries about myself are neither flattering nor easily arrived at. They are deeply painful and unsettling. It is also like uncovering wounds, exposing them to the air for draining and healing, which is necessary for healing and growth. This is a principle we all need to learn. This project was undertaken with one goal, an honest look at myself. An honest look at myself is not an exercise in flattery. In a search for truth and answers, honesty is a necessary guideline. The demons of my life, of anyone's life for that matter, must be faced, acknowledged, and dealt with in order to grow and stay strong and to not be doomed to repeat the same tired old tragedies yet again. I don't ever want to burn someone's possessions, to put you or others at risk by driving while impaired, to harm people by selfish actions, to harm others by a poor example. More than all of that, it is my strongest desire not to dishonor God or usurp his place in my life. Yet I know full well that as much as it seems I have come to know and am coming to know about myself. I have yet to plumb the full depth of my own sinfulness and depravity. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9. This was written about my heart, but it will be important for all to know and accept it was not written about my heart only. Truly, 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 I can do all things through Christ, but apart from him, I can do nothing. We live in a world, in a country, and in a society where more is what is wanted and where an honest evaluation of what is needed is seldom given serious consideration. I have fit well into that world while not ever truly realizing that is where I was. The thought process of, quote, why put off until tomorrow when you can borrow the money and have it today, end quote, is fatally flawed. Scripture says, 
Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Luke chapter 14 verse 28. To reject the wisdom of this and other verses like it is to invite disaster and failure. I did all and suffered the consequences. In 1987, I cost my family a house by fire. In the first decade of the new century, I cost us another house by combining you are never satisfied economically with severe alcohol abuse to lose land and a home that have been in my family for more than 100 years. Prudence, our children, and I suffered the extremely painful and destructive loss of a 36-year marriage. It is not all my fault, but I created the foundation for failure by my pride and selfishness. These are difficult, extremely unflattering revelations. They are the truth. Quote, you are prideful, selfish, and self-centered, exclamation point, end quote. Those harsh words were written to me by a friend. I recall at the friend's indictment of my character and thought to myself, Obviously, she does not know I have dot, 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 as I filled in the blanks with my, quote, good deeds, end quote. I pondered the harsh words over several days and came to the realization that she had given me a gift, allowing me to look at myself in a mirror and to recognize that her characterization of me was spot on. It's good to give, but you have to look at the heart behind the gift, and if the heart supporting the gift is rotten, then the giving doesn't create soundness where there was none otherwise. My efforts at charity were my, quote, good works that were done to try to give myself peace. I had tried to obtain peace by taking, and I had tried to obtain peace by giving. Neither worked. It was my effort to save myself. I was wrong, plain and simple. Jesus said he did not come to be served, but to serve, Matthew 20, 28. My efforts to serve have often been more about receiving than giving, seeking satisfaction from people in this world rather than working for the Lord, Colossians 3, 23. Another thing my father pointed out to me was, Quote, you just never have enough, do you? End quote. And again, his words are very true. The problem is not an economic one. I've never been a money-hungry person. It is spiritual. It manifests itself at least in part in regard to my economy. But underlying that is the very real issue of understanding God's grace. In God's economy of grace, there is no plan where I can work enough, give away enough, love enough to make myself acceptable before God. It simply doesn't work that way. Quote, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. End quote. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. My goal here is to face my failures and my flaws and to encourage you to learn from mine and to be willing to face your own. Yours and mine are likely not the same, but they are both real. They are both hurtful, and they must all be dealt with. Don't make the mistake of thinking this story about me is unique to me. It is not. 
This story is my story, but we are all in this story somewhere. And no matter how good you are, your place in this story is not and cannot be just the good places. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3:23. A careful and honest look at yourself is neither pleasant nor simple, yet the results are profound and ultimately uplifting. It's also not a one-time thing, but rather an ongoing process. Today is the right day to begin.